This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the Kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Season 4 of Dime Dropper Post Game Lives. You already know how it is. No, who's calling me? You can't be calling me during live time. Who Who's calling me during live time? Anyway, <laughs> welcome back, everybody, live from Los Angeles, as always, where we got opening night tonight, Lakers and Denver Nuggets. Shout out to all my Laker fans out here. Ready for a new season and a new season of Dime Dropper Post Game Lives. You already know how it's gonna go. I'm gonna try to go live after every single game that I can at night. I'm gonna be I'm gonna try to be better with Laker games this season. Clipper fans, you already know the deal. And by the way, I see 12 people on Twitter. I am going to delete the link that you're watching. Please do me a favor and come to the link below the tweet that you're watching because I want to funnel everybody to the YouTube. I'm close to 5,000 subscribers and I need that 5,000 subscribers badly. It's one of my goals for the end of the year. So fuck Twitter. Let's go to YouTube. So if you're on Twitter, go down to YouTube. All right, let's get to it. The Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. Ring night. You already know how it's going to go. It's a lot of emotion. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I got to my friend's house to watch the game right during tip-off. So I didn't see any of the ring ceremony or anything like that. But I just want to give a congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. Well-deserved champions. And, you know, they did it the right way. They did it through the draft. It was their first time ever. Thoroughly deserved. And they dominated the whole way. Losing only four games the entire run but the whole talk was going to be how did the Lakers new additions impact their chances of beating Denver and I've I've kept saying and by the way if you haven't checked out my preview today was the day that I released it it was set the first real episode of basketball on Figaro with my guy Edwin who is now a credentialed member of the media for the Lakers for silver screen and roll so you got to give my boy Edwin a hand please make sure you listen to us New episodes dropping every Tuesday, talking all things Lakers, Clippers, and Sparks. Since the Sparks aren't in season right now, it's all about the Clippers and the Lakers. So we'll be giving you all that kind of stuff. And he's getting the stuff from inside the locker room, basically. He is part of the Laker media now, so congrats to Edwin. Check out what we said about the Lakers, Clippers, the record prediction, everything on that episode after this is done. By the way, for those asking about the intro... There is going to be another alternate intro for only basketball that I will do for strictly basketball videos and most Clipper lives. But when I do the Laker lives, we'll do the LA only intro, which I absolutely adore, by the way, especially Bob Miller at the end there. Are you kidding me? The GOAT. You, you notice it's about the commentator. I have Ralph Lawler, Chick Hearn, Vin Scully, and Bob Miller. Joe Buck, he should just be thankful he's with that class of LA GOATs. But anyway, let's get into the game tonight, right? So the thing I'm looking for is how are the Lakers' new additions impacting things? But I've also said on many occasions this summer, these new additions, Christian Wood, Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent, these are good players, but these are not going to put you over the top of beating Denver. The reason the Lakers didn't beat Denver are three reasons. One, actually four reasons. One, Nuggets are just a better team, and that has not changed, in my opinion. The Nuggets are just a better team. Secondly, D'Angelo Russell played absolutely 
awful in the conference finals. But the main reasons that they lost, every game was close. You can go back to my live recaps from the conference finals and see what I was saying. AD and LeBron didn't close. LeBron got too tired. And AD, and LeBron, by the way, in the 2022 regular season and 2023, he didn't close games well. He had a couple of games in the playoffs last season that he closed well. But in the conference finals, those did not exist. Anthony Davis had trouble scoring on Jokic one-on-one in the playoffs. He was mostly scoring off rim runs, putbacks, rim rolls, just on the roll in general, scrappy points. He wasn't scoring on him enough one-on-one. So I was looking to see if anything changed, and I didn't because AD is who he is as a player, in my opinion, and LeBron is in his 21st season. And by the way, he's moving incredibly well. He still, when he was going downhill and he was on the break, he was an absolute locomotive. When you talk about the ways that LeBron has been able to stay at such a high PPG, even in his older years, it's mainly the strength. He can really bully just about anybody that he wants to, and he gets two feet in the paint fairly easily, but the Nuggets' strategy was exactly the same as last season. They want to run the Lakers out the gym, they want to put D'Angelo Russell in the action as much as possible, and that's exactly the kind of things that they were doing. And the Lakers, right off the bat, were struggling. And it's not even anything against them. They're just not as good. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you, Laker fans, but nobody right now is as good as Denver. I know it's only one game, but unless there's an injury to me, the Denver Nuggets starting lineup is by far the best in the league because they have such an amazing blend of talent and they have the best player in the NBA. And a guy who, at this point, like... I don't care how many points he averages, his impact in the game, Jamal Murray, is that of a star, borderline superstar, and in his role as a second option, he is as good as it gets, damn near. So, they have the perfect balance, they now have continuity, it's been several years, they're all peaking at the exact same time, Murray, Jokic, and Gordon, and then you have young players in Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Najee, and Michael Porter Jr., And then KCP, you can say, is in his prime as well. So right now, Denver, they just look like a team that has a chance of doing very special things, not just this season, but going forward the rest of the decade. Like, they really look that good. That's not an overreaction for one game. We know who they are. They are the standard. They are the bar right now. But let's talk about what I saw in this game. So Torian Prince starting for the Lakers. There was some conversation about that in the offseason. Who's going to start alongside Reeves, D'Lo, LeBron, and Anthony Davis? Torian Prince was guarding Jamal Murray to start the game. And I thought throughout the game, when you saw Torian Prince guarding him, he did a very good job because he's just got more length than and mobility than anybody that the Lakers had last season guarding Murray consistently. Vanderbilt... While he had the length, he didn't have the lateral quickness, and Schroeder was just getting shot over. So Torian Prince actually was making life a little bit difficult for Murray, but it was the same old, same old. The Nuggets were trying to push. They were getting open shots. All their starters were doing well. Jokic was scoring everything around the basket. AD really had no answer for Jokic, and shout out to my guy, Dime is goaded on Twitter. He was talking about that Rui Hachimura, and I'm going to get to him in a second, does a better job of guarding AD because I think his lower center of gravity kind of gets underneath Jokic and gets a little more physical with him, whereas AD is kind of upright and Jokic kind of just shoots over the top of him. And so that's kind of an interesting development to me that in the games we've seen dating back to the conference finals, Rui Hachimura has seemingly done a better job 
on Nikola Jokic. But LeBron in the half court, actually, throughout the game was very quiet. He was just kind of chilling off the ball, just sitting around. And I know what this is. This is what I talked about with Edwin on the episode today. You got to check it out, which is he's going to try to go for the Larry Bird kind of thing where he lets McHale and the other guys eat to conserve for the fourth quarter where he's going to be the one to take over because LeBron James is still the leader of this team. He's still the second best player on this team. He is probably the best closer on this team. So what he's doing is he's conserving for that moment. And now that he has Austin Reeves, Gabe Vincent, and D'Angelo Russell to trust in those playmaking roles, and of course Anthony Davis being more of a go-to guy, that's going to relieve him and save his legs, hopefully, for that fourth quarter. Now the problem was D'Lo and Austin Reeves had a terrible night shooting the ball. And in the beginning of the game, it looked like D'Angelo Russell had just kind of continued where he left off in the conference finals. Bricking shots. He was taking decent shots. I didn't have too much of a problem with his shot selection, but they just weren't going in. And AR-15 was just struggling. He was getting stripped. He was losing the ball. Had a couple of misses. D'Angelo had three turnovers. Austin Reeves had two turnovers. But they just struggled to get things going in that first quarter. The Nuggets led 34-20 to after one. And I thought the one thing I noticed right away with Denver... Their bench is nowhere near the same. Nowhere near. You got Reggie Jackson playing consistent minutes now. It looks like he's gone in the rotation. So bless up to Reggie, man. I'm wishing the best for him. But let's see how long he can last. I think, honestly, he can be a backup point guard on a great team. But can he be the backup point guard on a championship team and get real playoff minutes? That remains to be seen. And for if, if there are any Nuggets fans watching with the rebuttal of says the guy who has Bones Highland start as his backup point guard. Yeah, Bones Highland is much better at, than Reggie defensively at this point and just a better player in general. And I can tell you that with confidence because I watched both in a good situation. Reggie Jackson was given the keys here in LA with the Clippers. He had no excuse for why he played so badly last season. He's just not that great anymore. But I thought it was pretty funny in this game. He was making some good plays in the pick and roll, hit a couple of threes, including one where I knew the second he made it, it was going to go viral, even though it, nothing really happened. He stepped on LeBron James' shoe. LeBron fell back over, and Reggie hit a three. He also hit a three to end the first quarter, which put Denver up 34-20 to after one. And you saw the Nuggets attacking D'Angelo Russell a lot. Now, something that Edwin and I talked about in the preview was D'Angelo Russell looking better in the preseason defensively and being challenged on that end throughout the summer because he was basically told and shown in the Western Conference Finals that he could not play good enough defense to stay on the court because his offense was bad as well. And in this game, I thought he was much better personally. He had moments of active hands, deflections. You could just see a level of effort from D'Lo that he didn't have defensively last season. The only thing is, he's never going to be this great lateral guy or a great point of attack defender that's going to be able to guard star players. So when he's on the court and he's getting targeted by Jamal Murray in the pick and roll, I mean, he's not going to... Nine out of ten times, he's not going to get a stopper. He's not going to prevent... Murray from doing what he wants to do, right? And here's the thing. It's not just D'Angelo Russell. Jamal Murray has a counter for everything. We talked about it every single playoff game last year on this channel. He has a counter for everything. He has a bag, you know, a major one. So 
it doesn't matter if you throw in a good defender on him. He still can get buckets. But D'Angelo Russell, he was trying his best. He still, I wouldn't call him a liability, but he's still going to be the guy that's targeted. Now, as far as the Lakers' second unit, I think that's what was kind of giving them a little bit of momentum because Denver, they play in a, they're playing a basically a totally new second unit. You've got Christian Brown as your sixth man. Then you have Zeke Naji, who's playing the backup five, kind of playing in that Jeff Green role where he's switching one through five. We saw that in, against the Clippers in preseason. And then you had Peyton Watson, who's young as well. So it's a different look. And I think they will not be as good. But Denver's starting lineup is just so good, and they stagger Murray and Jokic that it's like they're still okay. You know, they're still okay. But Reggie started cooling down. The one thing I noticed about Reggie, though, that I was impressed by was that he was actually playing decent defense, playing with energy, because he's going to need to try his best on defense. Otherwise, Mike Malone's not going to play him, you know, in the long run. But he started cooling down. There was one time where he took this floater going to his left that just wasn't even close I was like that's a classic Reggie shot didn't have a chance of going in and then he started cooling down missing some threes but yeah D'Lo I wrote it down he had two strips in the first half so he was trying his best he was getting active but the Lakers were conceding a lot of switches on Jokic like Austin Reeves and certain guys that really had no business guarding him and Jokic was dominating and they weren't helping either it seemed like the Lakers strategy was let Jokic eat limit the rest of the guys and in the first half it wasn't really working Jokic had 17 points and nine rebounds he got a couple of offensive rebounds Anthony Davis had zero rebounds in the first half and he started at the five that's a real problem needs to be better and I gotta say though Jokic gets away with some fouls on rebounds like loose ball fouls he like does this little swim move where he kind of just throws you away and just like if you put your arms around him he just kind of shoves you and he did he does it very subtly that the refs don't see it but sometimes they are fouls and he gets away with it. But then again, I still just think he's one of the best rebounders in the NBA. Top five to me. Um, the non-LeBron minutes in the first half weren't too bad. The non-AD minutes in the first half were just absolutely awful. That script kind of flipped in the second half. And Anthony Davis, I thought at the end of the second half, he started getting more aggressive. Jokic had picked up two fouls, and those were both guarding AD. So AD really went at him. Had a couple of moments where he caught the ball on the left wing, went to work quickly, quick rip through, spin move, little one-handed runner, push shot. So he was making Jokic work a little bit, and Jokic didn't want to pick up that third foul. So you saw AD have 11 points in that first half. So AD was making Jokic work. He really was towards the end of that first half. Jumper, still not great. And the Lakers, I thought, despite the fact that they could not guard Jamal Murray without fouling, like Vincent... Uh, D'Lo, Murray, there were a couple of times in the first half where they were, the Laker perimeter defenders were all over him and he was not getting a call. And he was getting pissed. And he kept telling the ref, you're standing right there. And to be honest, he had a point, And then eventually he was starting to get every call. And so the Lakers were really struggling to guard Murray without fouling. Aaron Gordon, by the way, he finishes everything when he gets a mismatch. And I love how aggressive he was being. Just like the playoffs, you know, they have this play. I mean, they have so many creative sets. That's the thing about Denver. They're so hard to guard because there's so much movement. And you have Jokic at the high post. Even when they want to go to a traditional pick-and-roll, high pick-and-roll offense, Jokic and Murray is the best combination in the league. But then all the other things they can do with their flare screens, with Jokic at the high post. And one play is Gordon setting a pin down for Murray. 
that split second where Gordon's man has to help because Murray's coming off a screen, that's the all the daylight Jokic needs to throw a lob pass over the top to Aaron Gordon. Like, it's just unbelievable. And when a, a lot of times when they do that, and even when they still retreat on Gordon, he will seal and catch the ball right around the restricted area, and Jokic will feed it to him perfectly, and he'll go right up. Or if they switch, he'll do that as well. So it's so hard to guard them. And Aaron Gordon was a problem. But Rui Hachimura's good defense and physicality and Jokic just missing some bunnies caused the Lakers to end the half on a run. And it was 63-54 to at halftime, which all things considered, the Lakers were in a decent spot. Third quarter, Lakers started pretty well. Nuggets restored order. I thought D'Lo and Gabe Vincent were defending well. I thought that was the best stretch of the game for Vincent, who offensively to me wasn't great. Missed a lot of shots. Took a couple of ill-advised shots. There was even one time where the Lakers were swinging the ball, and he should have attacked a closeout and didn't, and it ended up resulting in a bad possession for the Lakers. But the one game with Gabe Vincent, obviously he's a little nervous. You just got to give him time. I think he's going to be very good in his role. He had six points, two assists, two turnovers on three for eight shooting and 0 for four from three. So he just really couldn't find his jump shot in this one. But I thought he was making some good plays in that third quarter. And Christian Wood, who defensively didn't show me much at all. He was kind of quiet overall on that end, in my opinion. I didn't notice anything outrageously bad. But offensively, there were two times in the game that he got Christian Brown on a switch and he scored on him in the post. And I'd really like to see that. There was one move where he had a little... Really good footwork he utilized. Kept the ball up high, then put it on the floor, drop step spin into a dunk. I thought it was beautiful. So we'll see how Christian Wood gets more comfortable as he goes forward as a Laker. But in this game, he played only 15 minutes. He had seven points, four rebounds on three for four shooting. So that's not really much. I mean, compared to the role he had in Dallas last year and the minutes that he's played over the last couple of seasons, this is going to be different. Jackson Hayes also got a little bit of burn. The Lakers going nine deep tonight without Jared Vanderbilt, who's out for a little bit. Not that long, though. I think only about a week. But Jackson Hayes only played seven minutes, had a donut. I didn't notice really anything from him. But the third quarter, besides that, Aaron Gordon was finishing everything. Michael Porter Jr. was kind of broke. He was not hitting his three ball, just two for nine from three in this game. And he had a ton of good looks. Uh, Rui had some good moments. Laker fans, I want you to let me know if you think Rui Hachimura should have played more in this game because he was bringing really good things on both ends. He only shot 3 for 10 and was 0 for 3 from deep, and one of them was a really big shot in the fourth quarter that would have been a big hit had he made it. But let me know if you think Rui Hachimura should have played more. He had a pretty good defensive game, only played 15 minutes. Speaking of somebody who had a good defensive game and I was very impressed by for the Lakers, Cam Reddish. He showed some really good point-of-attack defense, good one-on-one defense, staying strong, moving his feet, contesting shots well. Offensively, it's going to take a little bit. He needs to really develop confidence, and he hasn't really been able to do that in the NBA because he hasn't had consistent reps. But in this game, I thought he was maybe this probably the second-best bench player after Rui for me. The plus-minus, though, favors Cam Reddish, who was a plus-seven, while Gabe Vincent was minus-17, Jackson Hayes was minus-seven, Wood was plus two and Rui Hachimura was minus eight. But again, small sample sizes and single game plus minus. 
I don't take those to the bank. I trust my eye test more than that. For me, Rui Hachimura was the best bench player for the Lakers, but Cam Reddish, you can argue, was better because his defense was really solid and he was more efficient. Seven points, four boards, two for four from the field, one for two from three. So the first one he shot, that three, was a brick and a half. It felt very out of rhythm. But then the second one, catch and shoot, it was smooth, in rhythm, knocked it down. So Cam Reddish showing some really solid signs. I predicted that he wouldn't really be part of the rotation, but he's making a case for himself. And speaking of someone else who was making a case for himself, by the way, Lakers outscoring Denver 26-24 to in the third, making it a seven-point game going into quarter number four. But I'll tell you this, Anthony Davis, he was seeing doubles and load-ups all night. The defense was loading up. His mid-range wasn't really going. But a couple of times, I think he could have swung the ball quicker and he just didn't, didn't hit the open man. But... Second half, they were doubling a little bit harder because I think they were trying to prevent Jokic from being in one-on-one situations a lot. But that's still no excuse for Anthony Davis, who's supposed to be the man on this team, to shoot only six times in the entire second half, and you have zero points in the entire second half. 17 points at halftime, and you don't score. There's no excuse. Charles Barkley is 100% right, in my opinion, when he says the Lakers are only going to go as far as AD will take them. LeBron is in his 21st year and he's turning 39 in December. He is still superhuman. The best player ever at this age, at this time. The fact that he's still a top 10, top 15 player at this age is remarkable. But that doesn't matter in the Lakers' quest of winning the championship. That's We know that LeBron is that good at that age, but... He quite simply just can't do the things he used to do. AD needs to be a guy that can be 25-plus points a game consistently or else Christian Wood, Gabe Vincent, like, do you think this is going to be the difference against Denver? It'll be the difference in you being a better team. It's not going to be the difference against Denver because what you see in the playoffs and what you see if you go back in history is rotations shrink and ultimately your stars play a lot of minutes. And the Denver Nuggets in this game in the second half They took an old-school approach where they really didn't play their bench that much. Reggie Jackson played 24 minutes. Christian Brown played 19. Peyton Watson played 11. Zeke Naji played 12. Every Nuggets starter played 30 or more minutes. Every single one. MPJ played 30. Then the rest all played 34 or more, with the highest minutes being played by KCP and Jokic with 36. So... Compared to LeBron, who only played 29, which was a topic of discussion after the game that LeBron could have played the whole fourth quarter because they were talking about it, that going into the fourth quarter, he had only played 20. If he plays the whole fourth, that's 32 minutes. That's a pretty decent number. Last season, LeBron averaged 34 minutes a game. Actually, 35 minutes a game, 35 and a half. So I think 32 is fine. If he averages around 32 minutes this season... I think that'll be a nice step down. But let me know also in the comments, Laker fans, do you agree with Darvin Ham's decision to sit out LeBron James for that stretch in the fourth quarter? Because he actually was playing really well in the fourth. You knew that the strategy was, as I said, that Larry Bird thing. Let them eat and then take over in the fourth. And you started to see LeBron get more ball dominant in that fourth quarter. Started going to the rim, knocked down a three cut to the basket one time and scored and forced a timeout. It was 92-89 to after a big LeBron three. 
There was one moment though, though, and we got to hear it in the inside tracks or the you know audio assist, whatever they call it. LeBron talking to D'Lo and saying when they switch that pick and roll because the Nuggets switch one through four, I'm available at the elbow to ISO and I see everything from there. And there was a time when it was 84 to 90, Reggie Jackson got switched on a LeBron and because D'Lo had finally gotten going, he hit two threes. He shot a three instead of giving it to LeBron, and he missed. And I just think it was a bad decision and did not spell good momentum going forward for the rest of the game. D'Lo did hit a couple of threes in that fourth. LeBron was starting to get the defense loaded up on him in isolation and fizz passes to guys right in their shooting pocket, like Torian Prince, who I thought was just absolutely outstanding tonight for the Lakers and further made Darvin Ham look good in the decision to start him, knocking down the three, playing good defense. He even had a nice little left-handed runner in the first half that I was very impressed by. 18 points for him. He was the second leading scorer for the Lakers after LeBron, even exceeding that of Anthony Davis. Six for eight from the field and four for six from three for Torian. So 75% from the field and 66 from three. Talk about making your debut in an impactful way. But Reeves, he really was having a tough time offensively in this one. And it's okay. It's just a one-game thing. But the thing about Austin Reeves that I love and why I think he's worth the, the hype that he gets is that he finds other ways to impact basketball games. He was diving for loose balls. He had jumped into the stands on several occasions to try to get loose balls. He had nine, re- eight rebounds, I'm sorry, in the game. Four of those offensive rebounds, two steals. He still creates shots. So... Players like that and then make the right decisions, those are the type of guys that you need to win chips, and Austin Reeves, to me, is one of those guys. In this game, he didn't shoot well. Just 14 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 2 turnovers, as I mentioned earlier. He was good from 3, but only shot twice. 1 for 2, 5 for 7 from the line, 4 for 11 from the field. So if you combine D'Lo and Austin Reeves... They shot 8 for 23 from the field. No good. I mean, you're going to just need better against the Denver Nuggets. Like, straight up. It's the Denver Nuggets. The champions, you're going to need better. The room for error is very small. And definitely not small enough for Anthony Davis to not score in the entire second half. LeBron defensively, very quiet game. Pedestrian as hell. Guarding Aaron Gordon and sagging off him for the most part. Playing quarterback. You know, linebacker, whatever you want to call it, just kind of calling things out. And I think he, for the most part, made the right decisions. He did get burned, though, in the fourth quarter, leaving Aaron Gordon open for three, and that caused a little bit of a momentum shift. And Jokic, I mean, the threes, like, every time he shoots a three and makes it, it feels like a swish. There was one non-swish today, but damn near every time he makes a three, it's a swish. It's unbelievable. Uh, He's just incredible. Like, the way he gets triple-doubles so effortlessly The fact that he's one triple-double away from passing LeBron or tying LeBron all-time is insane. And this is where I got to go to the context thing with LeBron. Now, LeBron is on the side of history where you say, well, his era, it wasn't as easy to get triple-doubles for the majority of his career. If you put young LeBron in this era, he may average a triple-double straight up. I I really think he could. With the amount of possessions, the the amount of shooters he would have consistently, the spacing every night, it's just a different ballgame. So... Jokic, Luka, Westbrook, not as much Westbrook because he his prime started before the three-point boom. But these guys, compared to LeBron, they had the benefit. I mean, Oscar Robertson, 
He didn't in the rebounding category. I don't believe that Oscar Robertson uh, had any benefit really. Actually, to a degree, with more possessions in the '60s, but he has to rebound against big guys with no three-point line, so everyone's in the paint. So, Oscar Robertson averaging ten rebounds is ridiculous. But the point is, it's it's harder to average a triple double in the 2000s than the '60s because the amount of possessions in the '60s, the amount of shots that are being taken per game. So LeBron, he's actually on the side of history now where he can say the stats don't go in his favor. Context. But that being said, I'm not trying to diminish Jokic. I think the effortlessness in which he puts up triple-doubles is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But the Lakers, you know, they kind of cut it down. But the Nuggets defense really clamped down at the end. You didn't see anything from Braun or AD really to make a huge difference at the end of the game. The Nuggets were creating turnovers. He had a couple of careless passes by the Lakers. D'Lo threw a really bad bounce pass up to LeBron when he was coming up the court around half court. Really bad, although the Nuggets had already had a 10-point lead at that point. It was about two minutes left. So the stretch of the game was when they had three different starters score because of Jokic having the ball and creating something at the high post. One time it was Murray, who again, that mid-range jumper, that elbow jumper going to his right is just absolute money. And then MPJ hit a big three, and KCP made a big shot. And KCP was just on it today, making his open shots. But I also want to say, in this game, I thought the Nuggets got the better whistle. And I know that's going to hate uh, hurt non-Laker fans' feelings, because they all remember last season that the Lakers got a more generous whistle after the whole crying against the Celtics thing. But the Lakers, I don't think, got the better whistle in this game. I think there were times where... Eh, eh, it was... A, it was about even. I think, yeah, that, honestly, it was about even. I don't think it was that bad, now that I'm remembering it. The next game, it was a little weirder, the, the, the Phoenix game. But I think there were stretches where the Lakers didn't get calls, but nothing too serious. I think there were just times where it was inconsistent and the Nuggets were getting calls the Lakers weren't, personally, in my opinion. But not enough to actually make a difference in the game. The Nuggets won because they were the better team, and they pulled it out. And the final score was 119-107. to 107. The Nuggets outscored the Lakers 32-27 to 27 in the fourth quarter. I had Denver winning the game in the preview, and so I'm not surprised at all. Let's look at the let's look at the stat lines for this one. The rebounding battle, 44-42 in favor of the Lakers. However, the Lakers had 11 turnovers. Nuggets also 11 turnovers. So even there, both teams relatively took care of the ball. Um, shot attempts, only one difference. Denver 91 shot attempts. Lakers 90. Nuggets shot 53% from the field, though, and 41 from three whereas the Lakers shot 45.6% from the field and 34.5% from three. So 10 for 29, not great, uh, very average. Denver shooting well from three. Let's read the lines of the Nuggets first uh, with Peyton Watson, who played 11 minutes, had three points, and was one for three from the field. Didn't notice much from him. He's athletic, made one three, but again, it's, it's definitely a downgrade in their bench department. Zeke Naji. You saw the ability to switch one through five. Again, I'm watching this game more from a Laker fan perspective because this is an L.A. sports channel, so I'm looking more to the Lakers. Zeke Naji, four points, one for three from the field, 0 for one from three. Christian Brown, five points, three rebounds, two assists, a block on LeBron from behind. It was an awesome block. Two for five from the field, and I think partially why LeBron got blocked there is because he faced up against Murray. I think he should have gone back to basket, but at, at the same time, it was just a really well-timed block. And he came from a uh, blind side. 0 for 1 from deep for Christian Brown. And then Reggie Jackson, actually the leading minutes getter off the bench for Denver. 
Eight points, three rebounds. He was a plus 11, which is a bench, uh, a high for any bench player on the Nuggets. Three for eight from the field, two for five from three in 24 minutes. Thing about Reggie is, you know against the Lakers he's going to show up. Starters, MPJ, 30 minutes played. I thought he had a solid game overall. 12 points and 12 rebounds to go along with two steals and two assists. So getting a double-double is awesome for him. He hit a big three in the fourth, but overall still didn't have a great shooting game. When I say still, it just kind of refers to a lot of shooting games that he just wasn't making shots last playoffs, but still found a way to be impactful even without that, and that was the challenge for MPJ before last season. Could you find a way to be impactful without making shots? 5 for 13 for him, 2 for 9 from 3, but he still had a double-double. KCP, what a game for him. 20 points, 3 steals, and a block on 8 for 12 shooting, so 66% from the field and from deep. Two for three from deep, made some big shots. And, of course, he's always going to give you hustle on the defensive end. Solid game for KCP. Every Denver Nuggets starter was was in double figures in this one. Aaron Gordon, another amazing performance on both ends of the floor. 15 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, one block, zero turnovers on seven for 11 from the field and one for two from three, that three being the one he made when LeBron let him shoot. He was awesome. And then Murray, 21 points, two rebounds, six dimes, eight for 13 from the field, three for five from deep. It's funny because you just, that stat line does not pop off the page. I want you to remember part of the reason why is because the Nuggets play such a free flowing motion offense. You're not going to see a ton of mismatch hunting all the time, a ton of high pick and roll all the time. They'll do it, of course, but they like to spread the wealth and get everybody going with a movement offense that's hard to guard. So that might hinder your stats sometimes. Jamal Murray, the timeliness of his buckets still matters much more than, again, I always say 21 points is not just the same as another 21 points. You you need context. You got to watch the games. Speaking of watching the games, the best player in the world is evidently the best player in the world when you watch the games, and that's Jokic. 29 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists, one steal and a block, only two turnovers on 12 for 22 shooting, three for five from deep. Weirdly, was only two for four from the foul line in this one. But, I mean, what can you say about the guy at this point? Complete performance. For the Lakers, I already talked about Jackson Hayes, Gabe Vincent. Only six points, three for eight from the field, and 0 for four from three in 22 minutes for Gabe Vincent. So I think he'll have a better game against Phoenix in the home opener. Talked about Christian Wood and Rui. Let's go to the starters now. Torian Prince, what a debut for him. 18 points on six for eight shooting, as I mentioned earlier. Austin Reeves, 14 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals. So, again, you see he does fill up the stat sheet in other ways. 4 for 11 from the field, 1 for 2 from 3. And then D'Lo, still got to be better if the Lakers want any chance of winning the title. 11 points, 4 boards, 7 assists, 4 for 12 from the field. So, 33% from 3, but was 4, I'm sorry, 33% from the field, but 40% from 3, 2 for 5. And then LeBron. Efficient, 21 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. But again, he's letting other guys work a little bit, so he's not going to get as many assists this season, I don't think. 10 for 16 from the field, efficient. Almost all of those were around the basket. 1 for 4 from 3. His jumper just wasn't really there. AD, though, just unacceptable. 17 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 blocks, 6 for 17 from the field, and 1 for 2 from 3, 4 for 4 from the line. It's just absolutely not good enough. He was 6 for 11 at halftime, and he only shot 6 shots the rest of the game. That's just, quite frankly, 
inexcusable. I don't care how much they're loading up or doubling you. Not good enough. But that's it. Yeah, the Lakers. It's okay. I wouldn't be too worried, Laker fans. Austin Reed is going to have better games. D'Lo's going to have better games. And the thing is, there's only one other game that's as tough as this one. You know what that is? When you play Denver again on the road. Every other game is not going to be as hard. So if you're a Laker fan and there's so many things you can do better, you're still going to get the new guys kind of integrated. I wouldn't worry too much. But what I got to worry about is Anthony Davis and if he's able to be the guy that Laker fans need him to be to win a title. That's what's important. Lakers, by the way, Laker fans, I'm going to be live on Thursday night after the Suns game. That'll be a good one. Lakers home opener. And by the way, shout out to all my mods right now making their debuts as mods tonight for opening night. Kyle's Take, Showtime, Nick. Really appreciate you all. All right, time to talk about the Warriors and the Suns. So, no Bradley Beal out with a back injury. No Draymond Green. I forget what, exactly what his injury is. Please, mods, let me know in the comments what it is to remind the subscribers. But he's out for a, a, about a couple of weeks. So, I think it may only be just a week more. So, Chris Paul was going to start. And it's funny, starting against his former team, Kevin Durant also playing against the Warriors in front of a Bay Area crowd sold out for the first time since he left, which is unfathomable to me that at this point, five years later, he still hasn't played in front of them. I didn't get to see the introduction. I'm guessing he got a nice ovation. Thank you, Kyle. It says Draymond has an ankle injury. So the starting lineup was Looney, Wiggins, Clay, Step, and Chris Paul. And for the uh, Suns, it was Yusuf Nurkic making his Suns debut, KD, Josh Okogi, Devin Booker. I'm sorry, Grace. Yeah, Josh Okogi, Grayson Allen, and Devin Booker. So I'm guessing Josh Okogi came in for Beal. But if I were uh, Frank Vogel, who was making his son's coaching debut, I would start Okogi, especially after what I saw tonight. He was awesome defensively on Steph Curry the whole game. He's the guy that should be guarding in the point of attack. And everybody's been asking who's the son's gonna who's gonna guard in the point of attack for Phoenix? Josh Okogi. That's the answer right there. You saw it tonight. He's got to be that guy. But um, I thought it was really interesting in the first quarter how awkward it looked to have CP3 out there. I mean, bless his soul, right? He's trying his hardest to push the pace a bit and move the ball a little quicker and run around a little bit, set screens sometimes. But it just doesn't feel believable. It feels like someone's being forced to do something they're super uncomfortable doing. He doesn't actually cut with any conviction. Like, he believes that when he gets the ball, he can score. Mind you, he is a little guy, and he's never had such bounce or anything like that. Like, so if CB3 catches the ball on a cut crowd in the lane with three bigger guys running at him, like at this age, what's he going to do? You know what I'm saying? It's not a comfortable spot for him. And then he's running around the court. But he's just not really running with any pace. So it's just such an awkward fit. Seeing Warriors basketball have one guy dribble for 13 seconds and then make one pass into the shot, which we saw on several occasions tonight, is, is just not Warriors basketball. It's, it's quite funny to me and I think it's going to be such a work in progress it's the first game but the Warriors I get it you don't want to make any snap judgments without Draymond Green but they looked exactly like I thought they would they're old they made a decision to lean into the vets and trade Jordan Poole and they're old Klay Thompson was still broke he was guarding Kevin Durant which I thought was funny and he was doing a really solid job of it because I'm going to get into KD in a second but Klay Thompson he was still broke like what did he shoot in this game Six for 18 and three for 11 from three. Like, those are the second round numbers right there. Klay Thompson needs to be better if the Warriors have any chance of getting back to the mountaintop. Because right now, I just don't believe it. He doesn't have the same lateral quickness. He was guarding KD because KD's not quick that, that quick anymore. Wiggins was missing chippies. But I will say, CB3 was trying his best to guard. 
one thing I know from having Chris Paul on my team and playing Kevin Rand in a playoff series is that CB3 actually was a sneaky good defender on KD because he gets right into his airspace and KD's afraid to put the ball on the floor against him because he has such good hands. So he often draws offensive fouls against him. And he did that at one point in the first quarter. But I will say CB3 gets away with a lot of fouls, man. A lot of bullshit little like touching on your body and, and reach, reach in fouls that he doesn't get called for. Like he was a sneaky little bastard. And he was our sneaky little bastard for a while, but he is one. Kevin Durant, I want to say this about him. He doesn't get many good looks anymore in isolation. Against bad defenders he does, but against good defenders with size and length, he struggles to get the step on anyone. He doesn't want to initiate contact when he gets the step, so he settles for a lot of mid-range pull-ups and very heavily contested ones. I am team mid-range. But it's so heavily contested. He doesn't get many clean looks. A lot of shots tonight were just short. And they were tough shots. And that's what's funny is he was in a Twitter space this summer. And people were saying, you don't get to the rim the same way and stuff. And he was like, there's always bodies. No, I was watching a game a couple of months ago. It was 2013 regular season, guys. Take a listen to this. 2013 regular season against Kobe's Lakers with Dwight and stuff. And with less spacing than today. Way less. KD was catching the ball deeper. He was posting up Kobe. He was dealing with the physicality totally differently, getting to the line like crazy, and getting easy baskets. It was a totally different player. Now, that was 11 years ago. He's been through an Achilles tear. But that's what I want to emphasize to all my subscribers is that just because Kevin Durant's stats have looked good in the regular season the last couple of years, don't let that fool you. He's not in his prime anymore. The last year of his prime was 2021. After that injury that he had midway through the 2022 season, he's never been the same to me. He does not have the same burst. And you can argue maybe he wasn't the same after the Achilles, but he was so good in the 2021 playoffs against Boston and Milwaukee that it's hard for me to say that because he really was playing at arguably the highest level that we've seen. But he's not in his prime anymore. He can't get the step on guys. And let me just say this too because I have this issue myself. And so one of the things I've been doing this summer, thankfully, is getting back on the court myself, playing more. It had been so much time where I'd been just so focused on my work. I hadn't really been back doing what I love. And that's more than anything is playing basketball. So I've been back on the court playing more lately. And one thing I struggle with is I can get to step on a lot of guys. But when they're on my hip trying to close that airspace, I need to embrace the contact and go into the defender as opposed to trying to step back or avoid that contact or pull up. And my pull up has gotten so much better from watching old school film. So I actually have a pull up now, but I still struggle to, when I get the step, go into the defender to go forward, not to step back. My thing is I kind of need to step back sometimes because I'm a small guard. Kevin Durant's seven feet tall, so he has no excuse. The one thing you can say about him is he's skinny. And so he doesn't really ever have the ability to really create with bully ball or any kind of, you know, he has to push off and he might get called for an offensive foul. Whereas opposed to a guy like Aaron Gordon, who's a freight train, he lowers his shoulder. And he, Aaron Gordon doesn't even go super fast. He'll just lower his shoulder and knock you back. Kevin Durant doesn't have that. But I'm thinking KD, he takes too many tough shots. And that's why he is maybe not even the best player on his team anymore. Fabian may have been right in the four sportsmen a couple of months ago when he said that Booker was the best player. I said I needed to wait for another season, but in the playoffs, Booker was better unequivocally. Booker looked like the best player not on the Suns, but on the entire court tonight. He picked up right where he left off in the playoffs. I want to emphasize this. 
if you still don't have Devin Brooker in your top 10, you are just hating at this point. He is one of the best shot makers in the league. His playmaking is extremely improved. And defensively, since Monty Williams became his coach, he has been decent. I think he also gets away with a lot of fouls at times. But he's playing aggressively. You saw that tonight. His defense is actually decent. And people are acting like he's still a cone or like he doesn't care like back in like 2019. He is a top 10 player. He can score in every way. He has counters to everything. He still gets easier baskets than Kevin Durant at this stage. It just doesn't feel like the guy misses very much, straight up. And we know the Suns don't have a point guard. They don't even have one off the bench. You had Eric Gordon playing point guard, for God's sake. It's going to be point guard by committee. We've never seen a team win a championship like this with three guys that are their best players that are all wing scorers that operate mainly from the mid-range and three, not necessarily known as guys that get to the basket like that. I don't think it's going to work for a championship, but I think it'll still be really good. And because people don't realize how great of a playmaker Devin Booker really is, and you saw that in full effect at the end of the game tonight. But D-Book started out hot. He was cooking. 24-12, to the Suns were up in the first quarter. As I said, Kevin Durant was struggling to get clean looks. And I think CP3 is good as the trigger man in the Draymond role of the offense when Steph and Clay are running around because there's so many easy reads to make when two guys are coming on to Steph and Clay coming over every screen, right? So you'll have Wiggins on those slips setting the screen or Looney on the, on the slip after they set the screen. And Chris Paul can find those guys right on the money or just find the shooters on the money right in the pocket because he's such a great passer. But when Draymond comes back, where does that leave Chris? Just sitting in the corner, trying to run off screens? What, where does that leave Draymond if Chris has the ball? S- sitting where? Is he, where is he just setting off-ball screens mainly, I would assume. That's really what it's going to be. Draymond setting off-ball screens, but then where do you have Looney? Is your spacing good? So there's a lot of questions to me when you have Chris and Draymond on the court together. And then when Chris and Steph were together, their defense isn't strong. Steph Curry is not the same defender he was in 2022. I said that repeatedly last year. And he's not the same. It's just, they have a lot of negative defenders in that starting lineup right now. Clay, Chris, and, and Steph... I think Chris was half decent tonight on defense, especially against bigger guys. Again, crafty little bullshit, especially in the third quarter. I'm going to get to it. But it's not something that makes me confident. And it wouldn't make me confident as a Warriors fan. But what got the Warriors back in the game at the end of the first quarter was their second unit defensively. You saw guys like Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, who every Warriors fan has been kind of expecting to take that leap this season, and Dario Saric. All those guys, you know, their length, their size and their athleticism was starting to cause problems. And of course, the second Phoenix goes to their bench, especially in a game where they don't have Bradley Beal, they're just not a very deep team. You're staggering Booker and and KD. Like, it's just not a very good team. Like, this Suns team is completely different than the one that Devin Booker went to the finals with. Only Kevin Durant from last year's team was playing tonight. And Josh Okoge. Those were the only players. Every other player, Drew Eubanks, Grayson Allen, Yusuf Nurkic, Watanabe, Nasir Little, EJ, and Jordan Goodwin, all these guys, even if you go to guys that didn't play like Chemezi Metu and Keita Bates-Diop, these guys weren't even on the team. So basically, they scrapped their entire team that they went to that run with, Chris Paul, Aiton, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, and now it's just it's Booker and KD, and we're totally going a different direction. I think it's a solid retooling. Will they be better? I believe so. Will it be enough to win the championship? I don't think so. 
And I think it's because Kevin Durant's not who people think he is anymore, straight up. But what I will say about Kevin is he still plays defense every night, and he still does try. I never fault Kevin Durant's effort, really. The only time I really questioned it was against Boston in 2022 because he looked like he had just been out-muscled out of the series. Like, he had just been taken out. But overall, for the most part, I never fault Kevin Durant's effort. But the second unit for the Dubs got him back in that game in the first quarter. It was 28-28 after one, after trailing by 12, as I said. So Golden State finished the quarter on a 16-4 run. But in the second quarter, it was all Phoenix. And the Warriors' offense just went really cold. Clay couldn't hit. Steph wasn't hitting the three. Chris Paul could not hit a shot. I mean, he was taking some shots. But again, it's a lot of just when Steph's out of the game, Chris Paul hyping and roll. Like, it's... I get it. That's what Steve Kerr wants to do. He wants to have a guy that can play in the pick and roll, take care of the ball, but it's so not Warriors basketball. I'm just so not used to seeing this. It's so funny seeing Chris Paul in a Warriors jersey. And he was 0 for 6 to begin the game. He may have been 0 for 7, but I'm not sure. I remember for a fact he was 0 for 6. And it's just Wiggins wasn't hitting. Steph wasn't insane. I mean, just the Warriors, they're a little old. And Booker was in, it was killing. And somebody I want to talk about is Yusuf Nurkic. I thought that you saw some really good things from him. He hit a long jump shot. He even hit a three in the game. He was one for two from three, so he'll take that 50%. And on the short roll, because you got to throw two at Booker, right? When he's coming off flare screens or stagger screens, and for those that don't know what the stagger means, and they were doing it a lot. Both teams are doing it. Two screens, right? Coming off two screens. Because when you come off one, you already have that little bit of daylight with the guy in your rear view. And then you come off another, it's kind of like a backbreaker for that defender that's trailing and trailing you. You need to be up. Whoever's guarding the screener needs to be up on Devin Booker, whether he's on the ball or coming off the ball. He needs to be. He was getting daylight for those shots in the first half, and he was draining every single one. Second half, you saw more of the Warriors hedging the screens with Looney. But Nurkic in that short roll was showing what he does have over Aiton, and that is his passing ability. He makes quick decisions, and he had a couple of really nice catches and quick fizzes to the dunker spot for Suns players. And I thought that was a nice wrinkle that you're going to see in the offense a lot this season is Nurkic's ability in the short roll. I thought Nurkic just overall had a really solid game, and you saw that he was a presence in terms of his size. And the Warriors, we talked about in the space the other night on Twitter, they don't have a guy on the roster over six foot ten, so they are incredibly small. The Suns led at halftime, sixty-one to forty-six. It was looking ugly for the Warriors, and then in the third quarter, it was the CP3 show. It was hilarious. Basically, all Chris Paul pick and roll, all of it. I want to see. Who came out of the game before that started happening? Because I remember one of Steph or Clay were out. And there was even a moment where Steve Kerr took both of them out. And that's something you didn't see much last year in the playoffs. But the reason he feels more comfortable doing it is because of Chris Paul. Because he has a guy that's a one-man offense that can still run and gets you good shots. And when I say run, I mean run your offense. Not actually run like that. But get you good shots in pick and roll even without them on the court. So that's part of the reason why he went to that. But let me see when the first one of them came out of the game in the third quarter. Actually, no, the Warriors started taking the lead with the starters in. But you started to see more of that pick and roll when Moses Moody came into the game for Klay Thompson at the 355 mark to end that quarter. And CP3, 
I mean, you know, he's going to get his mid-range. There were a couple of times where he had Yusuf Nurkic switched onto him for, the, for whatever reason, and he got two and ones getting to the basket. And that's when I started to see the concerns about Nurkic defensively that defensively that everyone's been talking about. He is slow-footed, man. If you're if Chris Paul's blowing by you, I get it. He's still a guard. But, man, you can't guard in space like that. And Nurkic, every time it felt like they put him in the action in the second half, the Warriors were getting a decent shot. So... Nurkic will be targeted tons this season. I don't fear him at the rim if I'm a player at all. So I would keep going at him. I also thought a couple of times he allowed offensive rebounds by just not boxing out. But he still did it. It's, it feels harsh, you know, criticizing a guy who still had the most rebounds of anyone in the entire game for either team with 14. But I thought he did a better job on the offensive glass with three than on the defensive glass at times where I thought he gave up some. But he was still really, really good. I think he had a great debut, Yusuf Nurkic. 14 points, 14 rebounds for him to go along with three assists and a block. Only one turnover as well on five for eight shooting. And as my boy CL talked about in the Twitter space the other night, he is very foul prone. He did pick up five fouls. But CP3 was starting to get comfortable, starting to find guys, make good reads. And got a couple of N1s, and you started to hear some faint CP3 chants from the Chase Center crowd. They outscored the Suns 40-19, to and I'm sorry, but I thought the third quarter, after the first half was kind of, you know, the Suns may have gotten some generous calls. The third quarter, the calls were all in favor of the Warriors. The Suns were getting nothing, and I'm going to be real with you. Devin Booker and KD were getting hand-checked every time. Every time, and they weren't calling anything, but the Warriors, they were basically calling everything. The Suns were over the limit with seven minutes to go in the first, and a couple of times they got frustrated. Like, there was one time Booker, Gary Payton the second, who, by the way, has no offense. Great defender, but has no offense at all, was right in his grill, and Booker was clearly fouled. He got mad, and then ran at Chris Paul and fouled him out of frustration. That's just the emotions getting the best of Booker, and I think sometimes that can happen to him. But overall, I thought the officiating was also helping the Warriors. The Suns went completely cold as a result. Eric Gordon, man, he was just chucking. He had 16 shot attempts in this game. And credit to EJ, I think one of the things he did well was he was able to play make for them. Because as I said, they don't have a point guard. So he he's actually not a terrible decision maker in the pick and roll. But he wasn't hitting his shots. He had the ultimate green light for whatever reason. And defensively, I mean, this is what EJ is. He's pretty decent on bigger wings and stronger guys that aren't as quick. He has very good hands, and you saw some examples of that in this game where he had a steal and a block. But chasing guys around screens and point of attack and guarding guards like that, he, he's not good for that anymore. And there was one time in the fourth quarter where he was chasing Klay Thompson around the screen, and he was just basically taken out by the screen easily, and Klay hit the three. So... End of the third quarter, the Warriors uh, outscored them 40-19. to 19, And they were up by six heading into the fourth. And somebody I got to give a huge shout-out to yet again is Josh Okoge. I already shouted him out once in this episode, but the way he was picking up Steph, getting right into his chest, sliding his feet, not giving him any room to breathe, I thought it was a huge reason why Phoenix won tonight. And... I think that not only that, he was 7-for-9 from the field. If he plays at that level, that puts the Suns in real contention. Besides that, the Warriors were the ones that ended up going kind of cold 
in the fourth. And I thought the Suns really hurt the Warriors on the glass. And that's when you start to see how small the Warriors really are. And of course, Draymond Green's not there. That's going to hurt. But they don't have anyone over 6'10". And so even though Kaminga got some offensive rebounds, they're giving up offensive rebounds. And I remember there was a possession where Booker hit a three to make them pay for it. CP3 in the fourth quarter, he kind of slowed down, kind of ran out of gas. It felt like the Warriors in general just kind of ran out of the gas. Steph Curry made a couple of shots. Um, I think Steph Curry's finishing is still quite amazing. It feels like when he's at the rim, sometimes there's shots that are just hanging on the rim and then drop down. Uh, he truly is a special finisher. But again, he's shooting a lot of threes, a lot of tough shots. And the thing is, like, for Steph Curry, what is a tough shot, right? Like, the line between what's a tough shot and what's not for Steph is so blurred because of his shot-making ability. But the fact of the matter is he's shooting a lot of tough threes. And there's a reason why he can go cold sometimes, like he did in the Lakers series. And at the end of the game tonight, the best player on the floor took the Suns home. And that was Devin Booker. I thought KD played better in the fourth quarter. Had that nice move where he, had a, he was on a fast break. He had one beautiful floater, by the way, where he probably should have been fouled again. One-legged, foul-line shot. But then a couple of minutes later, he had a nice block. Then when he was on the break, he took two long strides, went into the chest of, I forget who, I think it was either Moody or Gary Payton the second. And he finished at the rim, but it was Devin Booker's playmaking in the pick and roll in the last minute or two that decided this game. He had that beautiful, two great jump passes. I know you're not supposed to jump pass, but Devin Booker misdirected very well with them. The first one, Chris Paul was tagging Nurkic on the roll, and he swung it to a Kogi. That's the shot you give up if you're Chris Paul. Devin Booker got the assist. Huge shot from Josh Kogi. That was his only three-point attempt, and he made it. And by the way, uh, I thought that the Kevin Durant effort defensively was strong. Utah Watanabe, I was very impressed by. This is by far his biggest role in the NBA and in terms of relevance, having a rotation spot on a championship team. And I haven't really saw a championship contending team. And I haven't really seen much of Utah Watanabe, but I really liked what I saw in this game. He has a lot of length and size. He knocked down the three. He hit a floater. He had energy. He was really playing defense. Eight points, four rebounds on three for five shooting and a block in this game. Two for four from three for Utah. Really solid performance off the bench. Really solid. And then a couple other times right after that, Devin Booker finding Yusuf Nurkic on the roll. And it was his layup that made it a four-point game that put, it in the uh, put the nail in the coffin for the Warriors. So... Great playmaking by Book at the end of the game. Yusuf Nurkic finishing really well. The Suns win it 108 to 104 in San Francisco. They outscore the Warriors 28 to 18 in the fourth. That is no good if you're a Warriors fan, only scoring 18 points in the fourth quarter. Let's start with the lines from Phoenix, who shot 44% as a team and only 33% from three, 11 for 33. For the Warriors, they had an abysmal shooting night in general, even though they had six more shot attempts than the Suns. They were 36 for 101. 100 plus shots in a game. That's some 60 shit. 35.6% shooting, so abysmal shooting night. 23% from three, so just like the playoffs. 10 for 43 from deep. <laughs> Not good at all, 23%. thing about the Warriors is they just don't get enough easy baskets. They don't get to the rim like that. I mean, Steph can because guys are going to play him so closely because of his shot. But just 
6'3", 35-year-old Steph Curry being your main source of getting to the basket. I just don't know if that's going to be it. But, yeah. 78.6% from the foul line for Golden State, who shot 11 more free throws than the Suns. 13 for 17 from the foul line for Phoenix. But let's talk about the bench players for the Suns. Uh, Nasir Little, three minutes, only played in the second half, and made his only shot, and it was a three, and it was a pretty timely one as well. Very timely, in fact, to stop a little Warriors push. Three points and a rebound for him. Jordan Goodwin played 14 minutes. thought he had a nice deal when Chris Paul was just sitting at half court, not moving without the ball. <laughs> but didn't see too much from him. Two points, four boards, three assists, and a steal. Again, I was watching this game more from a Warriors fan perspective because my third or fourth largest fan base on here are Warriors fans. So looking at it from their side more so. So if Suns fans, if you have more specifics on how you felt Jordan Goodwin played, let me know. But I thought he was okay. One for four from the field, 0 for one from three. Drew Eubanks, I thought he was really active. He can clearly get off the ground. I don't think he's that great, but... This will, again, just like Yuto Watanabe, this will be his most relevant role in the NBA. He played for a shitty Portland team, a shitty, um, what's it called, team? Brooklyn team, but now he's in a very relevant role. I'm sorry, Spurs team. Eubanks was on the Spurs and the Blazers. He had four points, seven boards, two assists, and three blocks in this game. One of them was really impressive. I forget who was against. I think it may have been Kuminga. So I, I was impressed by that block that he had. One for three from the field. Yuta Watanabe, eight points, four boards, and a block on three for five, shooting in two for four from three. Grayson Allen, I mean, he, he was pretty quiet. Didn't have a good shooting game by any means. He had a donut in his son's debut. Four rebounds, two assists, 0 for six on the field, and 0 for five from deep. How about Akogi? 17 points, five rebounds, and a steal. On 7-for-9 shooting, and as I said, the big three. One-for-one one from three in the left corner to basically seal the game. Yusuf Nurkic, awesome debut. 14 points, 14 boards. He still has his issues defensively, but I really like what I saw from him in the short roll and the ability to post somebody up as well and dominate there. Double-double, you'll take that all day if you're a Suns fan. Three assists, five-for-eight from the field, and one-for-two from three. And then the duo, Kevin Durant. Not a very good game for him, but he still found a way to contribute. They don't win this game without him by any stretch. 18 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, and a block. So he's still got a double-double. 7 for 22. So he shot less than 33%. 1 for 2 from 3. So again, a ton of contested mid-ranges and long twos, which I know the analytics don't really favor. Kevin Durant is amazing at them, but it was just these are very tough shots. And then 3 for 5 from the foul line. By the way, the Suns out-rebounded the Warriors, and this is the difference in the game right here, 60-49. to 49. The Warriors actually had one more offensive rebound than the Suns, but 60-49, to 49, a lot of that comes from missing shots for the Warriors, but still, it was pretty noticeable when you watch the game. And one thing that actually kept the Warriors in the game was that the Suns turned the ball over 19 times, and the Warriors only turned the ball over 11 times. So one of the reasons you bring Chris Paul in is because the Warriors have always had a problem with turning the ball over too much. You did get the lower turnovers tonight with the ball in CP3's hands um, all the uh, more. With the ball in CP3's hands more, you limited the turnovers. For the Warriors, they went 10 deep. You saw, oh, Booker, I'm sorry. 
32 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists. That's a LeBron stat line right there. 6 turnovers, though, so he's got to limit those. So 6 of 19 turnovers came from D-Book, but he was so, so good. His shot making is unbelievable. Very improved passer each year. 32 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists on 13 for 21 shooting and 3 for 8 from deep. Only 3 free throw attempts, made them all. If you don't think he's top 10, I don't know what you're on. Stop giving me these injured-ass players and these old, inconsistent guys compared to Booker. His impact is unbelievable. He's unguardable. Teams have no answer for him. He's an improved playmaker, and he's a better defender than you think. He has been awesome for three consecutive years in the regular season, and he's been very good in the playoffs. He had one major hiccup, and that was Game 7 against Dallas. But besides that, if you compare him to the rest of the league, regular season and playoffs, you cannot name me 10 players who've been better in the last three years. People don't like him. I understand. I'm not a huge fan of his personality either. He talks shit about my team. He and Paul George go back and forth, whatever. But just basketball-wise, he's top 10. And he was the best player on the court tonight. I'm not saying he's better than Steph, but he was the best player on the court tonight. And you know what? I'm starting to lean that he is better than Kevin Durant. But that remains to be seen. Let's see how long it lasts. The Warriors went 10 deep. Corey Joseph, I forgot he even played. Four minutes, a donut. I think he only played in the first half. He was a minus 12 Warriors fans, let me know what you thought of Corey Joseph because I honestly don't remember anything that he did. Gary Payton, the second. One point, he was a plus 15. His defense is really good. Two rebounds, two assists, three steals. But offensively, I mean, he's just has nothing. 0 for 5 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3, 1 of 2 from the line. Moses Moody thought he was really solid. Did he? Should he have gotten more minutes? Let me know, Warriors fans. He had 11 points and three steals and three rebounds. So again, when you talk about that activity defensively, Warriors had 11 steals to the Suns' five. That was part of the creating turnovers, and some of that came at the end of that first quarter. But Moses Moody, 11 points, three rebounds. So nice to see him in double figures. He was four for six from the field and two for four from three. So 66% from the field and 50 from three. You will take that all day as a Dubs fan. Then you have Dario Saric who I think is going to be a good fit for this team. I don't think he had the best game in this one in terms of shooting the ball, but he was still decent. 7.7 rebounds, but 3 for 11. You want to see better than that. 1 for 3 from deep. But 7.7 rebounds in 20 minutes. That's decent production. Two blocks to go along with it. And then Jonathan Kaminga. One of his better games I've seen so far. It clearly looks like he's going to be the sixth man. He's going to get his run. He played 20 minutes, he had 12 points, 6 rebounds, half of those being offensive rebounds, 1 steal, I'm sorry, 2 steals and 1 block, just 2 turnovers, so he was active, he filled up the stat sheet and he was 50% from the field, 4 for 8, most of those coming around the basket, I'm still interested to see his jump shot, he didn't attempt 1-3 in this game, but I want to see how his jumper really is, but I think he's going to really help this team, and then the starters, Looney, 28 minutes played, 7 points, 11 rebounds, 3 for 6 in the field, 5 of those offensive rebounds. Typical Looney game, you got what you expected from him. He's not going to be a threat offensively like that outside of screen setting. And I'm so thankful I just reminded myself of that. Yusuf Nurkic's screen setting was amazing tonight. And a lot of times when he was seal, uh, when he was screening, he would do that seal to prevent the whoever was coming over the screen to get back in the picture. So T Daniel Tice used to be amazing at that with Boston. He was doing a couple of that, a couple of those to allow Devin Booker to get to the rim. And his screening was just awesome. Better than Ayton, who at times I thought was avoiding contact over the years, setting screens. Nurkic really setting hard screens. And that's going to help Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker get a lot of clean looks in the mid-range area. Let's talk about Andrew Wiggins for a sec. 
Defensively, he's always going to be good, but you're going to need more from him offensively. He's the second best player on this team. He only had 10 points in this game and was 4 for 12 and 0 for 3 from deep. So 33% from three um, from the field and 0% from deep. Not going to cut it. And then you have Chris Paul in his Warriors debut who played 34 minutes. There's absolutely no reason why he should be playing 7 more minutes than Wiggins. It's debatable that he should even be playing 14 more minutes than Kaminga and 16 more than Moody. But I'm going to let that be a Warriors problem. 14 points, 6 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 steals. All sounds amazing, but he was 4 for 15 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3. I think every catch and shoot 3 he looks, he shoots looks a little awkward. It's a very slow release. 6 for 7 from the free throw line. But I thought defensively he was better than I expected. He was willing to take the challenge, be very physical with guys that are trying to post him up, especially KD and Book. And as I said, in that third quarter, you started to see a little bit of the CP3 cheese getting right into your airspace, flopping when you get into him, stealing the ball, pulling the chair, getting away with reach and fouls, getting away with just, you know, slapping guys. I mean, Chris Paul has that little sneaky shit that he gets away with, but... I thought he was decent. He had a great third quarter, but he's just such a weird fit. I don't understand it at all. I don't think it's going to be a good thing like in the long haul. I think it's weird. He'll get his assists because, you know, a lot of times when people say Draymond makes basic reads, sometimes he does because Klay Thompson and Steph Curry attract two defenders coming off every fucking screen. So Chris Paul is going to be able to hit some guys and run on the money. But, I mean... He just dribbles a lot. Like He just always has the ball in his hands. It's all pick and roll basketball. It's just not it. Klay Thompson, I mean, I don't even know what to say. He did a good job guarding KD because, as I said earlier, KD does not get the step anymore, really. And when he's not trying to get contact, he's not trying to go into the chest, he's taking those tough mid-ranges. Klay Thompson's 6'7". He's still going to get a good hand up there. 15 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, and a block for Klay. He turned the ball over 3 times. He was 6 for 18 from the field, so 33%, and 3 for 11 from 3, 0 free throws. Same thing as the, the Lakers series. I mean, he's just got to make shots. These are Klay Thompson shots. He shoots tough threes, some open threes. He's got to make them. There's nothing else I can say. I, I don't expect him to be that great because I think that he's past it. I love the guy. I think he should be a bench player now, but he's never going to agree to that. This team just has too much ego. Steph Curry, I want to say something about him real quick. He's not in his prime anymore. Steph Curry, by the way, shout out to the Super Chat man. Kioi102 says, cheers to the new season. Really appreciate you, bro. Always appreciate the Super Chats at all times. But Steph Curry's in that stage of his career that like KD was in the last two years, where Kobe was in in 2011 and 2012. Like LeBron was in in 2021, 2022. That's where Steph Curry is. He's still a very good player. I think I, think, I still stand by he's the third best player in the league as of now. But... He's not as good as he was in 2022. He's getting worse. So when you're getting worse, you're not in your prime anymore to me. He's not the same defender he once was. He doesn't have the same burst. And it's just, oh, I know it's Steph Curry, and he's still going to have an amazing season, and he's still going to have amazing shooting splits. But it's a lot of threes and a lot of chance for you to just not have good shooting nights because you're taking really tough shots. I don't think Steph is as good as he was in 2022. I don't. He's on the decline. He didn't play well in the playoffs last year. I, I'm sorry, in the second round. I get it. He didn't have much help. You, he was gassed. He was on the ball too much. He was gassed. He's older now. He can't do all the pick and roll shit that you want that the Steve Kerr haters want him to do. He wants to play in the motion offense, and he needs to make shots. 
I don't think Curry's in his prime anymore. He's on the decline. He's still one of the best in the league, though. He's in the stage that Kobe was in, 2011, 12, 13. KD's in right now. It is what it is. But that's it for me in this one. The Warriors lose 104 to 108. I actually had the Warriors winning this game without Beal. And they should be a little disappointed that they didn't. And it's a lot of it's the shooting. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Steph Curry, 27 points, 5 rebounds, only 1 assist, 1 steal, 2 turnovers. So not too bad there. At least he took care of the ball. And as I said, the Warriors took care of the ball. Chris Paul, only 1 turnover. But he was 8 for 20 from the field. So that's just 40%. Only played 31 minutes, Steph Curry, because he had 5 fouls. And that hurt him. 4 for 14 from 3, though. So you shot 14 of your 20 shots. You know, seven, 70% of your shots that are threes, and you weren't hitting. Um, I saw Steph get to the basket and score a couple of times, but the three ball just wasn't going for him. It's no big deal. He was 7 for 7 from the line. He's going to be fine. It's Steph Curry, so he's going to have his great shooting games. But all I'm saying is, against high-level defenses and good defenders like Josh Okoge, like Davion Mitchell, that he's going to play in the playoffs... They're going to make him work on both ends of the floor, and he's going to have tougher shooting games. It is what it is. That's another reason why he was missing last season is because the Lakers were going at him, you know, putting him in the action, making him work, killing his legs. And Steph Curry's 35 years old now. He's going to be turning 36 in March. But that's it for me in this one, guys. Let me just look at the team stats real quick before we log off, if I see anything interesting. No, but the Suns had 22 points. I think uh, the Warriors, I'm sorry, had 22 points of the Suns' turnover. So that's something to look at. They did a decent job of taking advantage of that. But as far as the Warriors, I don't know, man. It's going to be a work in progress. I don't think it's a great fit. For Phoenix, they should be very thankful that they got the win. They were the better team tonight. And when Beal comes back, let's see how they look against the Lakers. Will Beal play against the Lakers? People were questioning if it was load management, if he was actually injured tonight. It sounded like load management at first. But as the night went on, we heard it was real injury. So we'll see if he plays on Thursday. Um, Laker fans are convinced he's gonna because it seems like everyone just always makes sure they're ready to play against the Lakers. But we'll see. I expect him to play, but I don't think that necessarily means he was load managing and they didn't pay for it either. Uh, final thing before I get off, I just want to say welcome to a new season. I'm so thankful to have everybody again. Season four, really good attendance tonight in the live for a Laker regular season live, especially when the Lakers lose. Most Laker fans of my subscribers, they don't like to come in when the Lakers lose. They love to come in when the Lakers win and the Clippers lose. So I really thank you guys for coming in tonight. Thank you to all my mods um, for joining. And as far as content to expect, first off, I want to say I made a video last week going out and interviewing Clipper fans, asking them a bunch of questions about the season, Terrence Mann starting, record prediction, seeding prediction, the new fan section of only Clipper fans I'm going to be in, uh, James Harden trade. I made two separate videos, but the one video that has, it's 19 minutes long, has all the content in the James Harden video. So I have two videos out on the YouTube channel, one that's titled, Do Clipper Fans Want Harden? All the answers in that video you can find in the larger video, which is just the full interviews that, with that, that I conducted from everybody. Please go check them out to see what the Clipper fans are saying. These are all authentic Clipper fans that go to games, not stands of Westbrook or Chris Paul, or, or I'm sorry, Kawhi or Paul George, none of that. And then... Basketball in Figueroa, every single Tuesday, me and Edwin drop an episode talking about the state of the Lakers and the Clippers. I basically previewed the season with him, both of those teams, last night. So please check out the episode. And then if you want my full preview of the season, the Four Sportsmen Sunday episode, I'm still working on the timestamps. I know it says three hours, but don't be alarmed. The timestamps are in the description and the pinned comment. So if you want to just see the categories, certain teams we talked about, I put them there, and I'm going to continue to put them there. 
And of course, you can follow this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. There will be no episode tomorrow, of course, because I will be at the game opening night for the Clippers against Portland. So you'll be getting a high-quality vlog with my new phone and my microphones on Thursday. It's going to be amazing. Scoot Henderson's debut, DeAndre Ayton's first game as a Blazer, the fan section for the first time, no Terrence Mann, sadly, that sucks, but Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy for a home opener for the Clippers and starting for the first time as Clippers in a home opener. Can you believe that? Because Paul George had the shoulder surgery in 2020. 2021, Kawhi hurt his face, had that mask, remember, against the Nuggets. So when we got 50-piece by Dallas, Kawhi didn't play. Then he was injured against in the 2021-22 season with a torn ACL. And then last season, he came off the bench against Phoenix. So this is the first time we're going to have Kawhi and Paul George starting, which is crazy. So we'll have the vlog for Thursday. And then on Thursday night, we'll be back here live after the Laker game to talk about Lakers, Suns, and the debut of Damian Lillard with the Milwaukee Bucks. That's it for me tonight, guys. Thank you so much for joining, and let me know what you think. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Peace, and have a good night.